I'm Hemant Mehta. And I'm Jessica Blimke. And you're listening to the podcast for FriendlyAtheist.com. You can now listen to all of our episodes and see show notes at FriendlyAtheistPodcast.com. Linda Lascola is a research consultant perhaps best known for her work with philosopher Daniel Dennett, in which they speak with pastors who may secretly be atheists. She co-founded The Clergy Project, a site for religious leaders harboring serious doubts about their faith, and she's about to re-release her book on the topic, Caught in the Pulpit. She also blogs on Pathos at Rational Doubt, a site that features several articles by doubting pastors. So, Linda, thank you for joining us uh, for this. My I'm, pleasure. I'm really curious, how did you even get interested in researching pastors who don't necessarily believe what they're preaching? Well, uh, it came as a, a surprise to me that I would end up doing a project like this, but uh, I've done many, many years of qualitative research, so the idea of doing research on something is not at all unusual. The idea of this particular subject came to me because I developed an interest in religion after not caring about it at all for most of my life. I was uh, raised as a Catholic kid, but uh, it didn't really take that strongly, and it wasn't really... Uh, being uh, devoutly religious was not encouraged at home in any way. But what happened was I went to Italy in 2005, and I looked at what I was seeing there in a different way. I had been to Italy before, and I had, I had been to Europe before, so I'd seen all the museums and the cathedrals and the works of art and so forth. But it just struck me in a different way that time. What I realized is that I didn't know really very much about religion from an academic point of view. I knew what I had learned in Sunday school, and I had dropped it when I was in college, the way many people do. <laughs> and and um, and I hadn't really thought much about it since, and it seemed like a huge lapse in my education. So I, I studied religion just for that very reason. And um, and what I found was amazing to me was that uh, that the kind of things that people learn in seminary were the kinds of things that would you know would have turned me off from religion long ago if I had known about them. They learn, you know, about the, how the Bible was made. They learn that it's mostly myths. They learn that Moses didn't write the um, the Old Testament. They learn that there's no reason to think Mary was a virgin. That was a mistranslation. They learn that that um, uh, Exodus. So there's no archaeological evidence for Exodus. So and a lot, very different from the things you might learn in church. Oh yeah, you never hear about that stuff in church at all. Um, at least I never did. I, I have to admit, I didn't pay that close attention. <laughs> so, um, um, I'm actually ahead. curious. Um, you know, you. I feel like when people hear about um, pastors who are, turn out to be atheists, everybody's really shocked. But hearing what you have to say, are you now kind of surprised that there are any pastors who actually <laughs> believe? <laughs> well, uh, what, what I've learned, I mean, that's a very good question. What I've learned is they define belief differently, and they, it's almost an individual uh, definition of belief. Uh, when I uh, was uh, trying to get people to participate in the study, I would contact uh, um, liberal clergy, and they would say, well, I, will, I wouldn't call myself a non-believer. I would call myself a, a, I'm, I, I believe differently. I'm a different believer. And um, So they're not like they, fundamentalist Christians who believe in like a literal interpretation of Genesis, but they would still call right. themselves Christians. They would still say, oh, yeah, I, I, I believe, believe in, in God Jesus, and all so. that. Right, or I'm a, I'm a follower of Jesus. And when right. they say, I believe in God, it may not be the God, you know, the guy in the sky. In fact, a lot of them will say, you know, I don't believe in that guy in the sky. 
I don't believe in it. Tell me what God you believe in. Maybe I don't believe in that God either. Right. Uh, so it's all very sort of uh, fuzzy and different for them. So they can uh, and and they can say that they can tell themselves that they're believers, but what they believe is very different from, let's say, what their members of the parish think they believe, <laughs> or what uh, what they themselves believed when they first started seminary. Yeah, I remember hearing uh, Dan Barker from the Freedom from Religion Foundation. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mm -hmm. who used to be like a fundamentalist Christian pastor and eventually became an atheist. He said that, you know, it started, he really did have this, the Bible, it is is inerrant. He had that view of the Bible. Mm -hmm. And then at some point, he slowly moved away from that to, oh, well, Mm -hmm. maybe that's a metaphor, but I'm still a Christian. And then he stepped away from that to saying, well, I don't necessarily believe in the God of the Bible, but I guess I believe in the idea. And he kept making these small steps until he realized, like, I don't think I believe any of this anymore. Yeah. And it sounds like that's what you're saying about a lot of these pastors, that the the concept of God, the, the religious beliefs that they hold, uh-huh. it's very different from what members of their churches necessarily believe. And the question is, do they let on that they're, they're very different beliefs than what their members might have? Do they ever tell their congregations this? Well, uh, they let, let on is a good way to put it. Uh, and I can give you a couple of examples from the study uh, where uh, one, I'm thinking of one Episcopal priest in particular who uh, realized um, kind of early on as, as being a priest that he was no longer a believer, but there was much that he liked and really loved about the work he did. I mean, there's more than standing up in the pulpit and telling people you believe in God. So right, you're talking to people, you're counseling people, yeah. Right, right. But um, he had someone in his congregation come up to him personally, not at church, but say, you know what, I'm really having trouble with the, the a Nicene Creed. I just really don't believe that stuff anymore, and I, don't, I, I can't say it. He said, well, you said, you know what, I don't believe it either. <laughs> <laughs> but I still say it. And I said, you said that to her? And I wow. said, you weren't worried that she would, you know, pass it on to other people? Yeah. He said, no, he wasn't concerned. He didn't care. And, and she, you know, she... It, it brought him closer to her. He felt that he was able to help her and keep her in some kind of, uh, you know, some level of faith. And so he, he did a good thing for her. And I, I agree with him. He, he, he comforted her. And that's so much the role of a pastor yeah. to comfort. Do you find, I mean, I don't, obviously you're not going to have these specific numbers offhand, but do you see more pastors come out of like one sect versus another Do you is see, there like, one a lot type of, of christianity that where they're all stepping away from is right. it like a baptist fundamentalist yeah. sort of christianity or yeah. what i what i can tell you pretty uh clearly just from, from my own experience i don't have to statistics about this but um the, the fundamentalists are the, the first to go i mean they've, they've got nowhere to go once they don't accept you know creation yeah um mm. they um as, as I've often told people, if he had wanted to, we could have conducted uh, the whole study in the South with fundamentalists. <laughs> because we, we got a lot of response from the fundamentalists. And um, and when I talked to a few, I could see that uh, they, you know, once they lost those fundamental beliefs, you know, as, and uh, as Dan Barker described it, you know, you move slowly and slowly away. But their congregations are expecting them to believe that stuff. Right. And once that first and, domino falls, everything right, just right. topples after that. Mm-hmm. Right. So, um, and, and also some of the fundamentals I spoke to, I said, well, you know, could you, could you see um, being a Unitarian? 
because they don't really have to believe any of that stuff. And they thought about it, and they said, no, I just want out. Really? I mean, wow. They, out of religion? Yeah. Huh. Yeah, they wanted out of religion. They didn't want to, in my experience, I'm not saying this happened yeah. in sure. the case with all of them, but um, they uh, they didn't want other, some other form of religion. They just wanted out of the whole thing. Where it's extremely different with the liberals, they can, um, this is my language, not theirs, but they can fudge it. <laughs> they can yeah. stay in. They, they they can enjoy the benefits of religion. They can keep their pension. They can do good works for people. Uh-huh. They can. And this is another, I think, a very important thing. Um, they can nudge people along, either consciously or unconsciously, toward more humanistic beliefs because they hold those beliefs themselves. Right. So they can tell their congregation, like, you can all do good in the world. Mm-hmm. And that's not you're not a hypocrite when you say that, even yeah. if you don't. But you're not telling them, let's talk about how the world was created in six days. Or they'll just shy right. away from that. And if you don't believe in Jesus, right. then you're going to hell. Or right. All that stuff. No, that's no, they don't. You know, I, I was a member of an Episcopal church for many years. And I, I have to say, I never heard any of that stuff. Wow. Um, in, in the Episcopal church. At what they, they, point? They, at what point do these pastors, especially the ones from these fundamentalist churches, at what point do they go from, all right, I'm having these doubts to I don't want to be a part of this anymore? Is there a certain point? Is it like a time thing? Like I've been having these doubts for a couple of years. I think I need to find a way out. Or is it a certain belief that they let go of when they say, you know what, I can't even call myself a Christian anymore? Yeah, it doesn't work that way. Uh, it's it's extremely individual. Um, uh, sometimes it takes uh, it takes years and years and years. One guy, all he did uh, to to become an, an, a non Christian was to read the Bible. He just you know a lot, <laughs> lot, of, lot of these that does the trick. People, We've heard that before. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. A lot of these people read and read and read. I mean, they read science, they read religion, they read philosophy. Um, and they really uh, enjoyed it and really got into it. But this one guy I'm thinking of right now, he only read the Bible. He wasn't really that much of a reader. wasn't an intellectual. But it took him 10 years to read the Bible. Now, I'm, wow. not saying this, I'm not saying he was a slow reader. What I'm saying is that he would read and he would say, that doesn't sound right to me. And he put it aside because it was dangerous, you know, to, to have these kind of feelings and ideas. And then he'd pick it up again, and that didn't make sense to him. And so over a 10-year period, he finally... He finally allowed himself to believe that that he didn't believe anymore. And he and he was one of the few people that I talked to at, at, uh, in the study that said, "I am an atheist. I don't want to be an atheist, but I am an atheist." Yeah. Wow. I wonder if it's more the inconsistencies within the Bible, like that there's two creation stories, even though most people only think of the one, or if it's the the out and out like anti woman, pro slavery kind of things that get people more. Well. Um, it's it's some it's a combination of those things. Uh-huh. As I say, it varies from person to person. And if you're a fundamentalist, you would just look at different things and say that can't be. Or you look at other things and say that doesn't make any sense in today's world. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, and one by one, those things just fall away, and and you're stuck. And in the case of the guy I'm thinking of, he was very good at uh, comforting people, at sort of as he put it, just holding their hand and being with them. When something, when you know, just something bad was happening, when somebody died or somebody was terribly ill, and he said at those times he didn't comfort them in terms of the Bible, uh, but uh, just being a, a human being, uh, comforting another person, and uh, but he he was still able to do that uh, as a non-believer. 
but he was also very uncomfortable, you know, doing what he needed to do in, in, in the church and eventually got out. So as a, um, do you all then provide them with the skills they need to find gainful employment outside of the church or financial help? Or at least the help? clergy project, which I know you're no longer really working with, but the clergy project right. has done a little of that, right? Trying to provide them yes. with skills and money? Yes, and I'm glad you brought it up that way, Jessica, because it gives me an opportunity to distinguish between the clergy study, which is an academic study that Dan Dennett and I conducted over a period of almost uh, seven years, and um, and the clergy project, which is an um, an online support group, uh, confidential support group for current and and former clergy who no longer hold supernatural beliefs. And the way they are related is that after Dan and I did the uh, first part of the study, which is a pilot study that we published, we completed in 2010, um, it got a lot of attention. And um, a lot of people, a lot of clergy started contacting us because we were going to be conducting a larger study. So we had this, this long list of names of people who wanted to participate in the study. And what we learned at that point was that Dan Barker, and Richard Dawkins talked several years before that, wanting to do something for clergy, non-believing clergy. And when we when we had this list of names, and then and the internet had been invented in that <laughs> during that time, huh. um, uh, they they got this idea of having this online uh, support group, which I thought was a brilliant idea. I mean, it's a brilliant idea. Mm-hmm. And I was I was just sorry that I hadn't thought of it first because in so many of these people that I talked to in the interviews. They were so eager to talk to me because I was, like, in many cases, the first person I had to talk to about this sort of thing. Yeah. And they really wanted to be able to talk to other people like them. Uh, but, you know, where were they and how could they do it? And how do you find other pastors who yeah. don't really believe in Oof. what they're preaching? That's not easy to do. Yeah. How much yeah. would someone have to pay for that list of names? Can you even imagine? I have a list of a lot of pastors who don't believe in God. <laughs> God. Someone's got to pay good money for that list. Well, and this is something, like you said. Right, the, but they're the wrong people. Right. <laughs> but, you know, you said the Internet was kind of invented somewhere between the conception of the idea and the the execution of the idea. I mean, this couldn't exist without the, without the Internet, you right? You couldn't have their anonymity correct. protected. There's no way to have that for that to be done. That's right. Right. That's right. It couldn't have been done otherwise. I mean, the Internet, uh, why we don't need to talk about how it's changed things, but it's changed things tremendously in this area. People just have a way to talk with people that they did not have before. Yeah. It's made a huge difference. Do any of these pastors... So, uh, go ahead. Finish that line of Yeah, thought. I just wanted to get back to your original question in terms of um, uh, support for finding new jobs. Mm-hmm. And uh, the Clergy Project does have something like that. It uh, started... Um, I think about a year after the clergy project itself got started, and it's through the Todd Steeples to stop, excuse me, Todd Steeples organization. Yeah, the uh, Free Thought uh, Fund that he has, the right. Free Thought Foundation. And right, and he provided funds for an outplacement service to uh, help uh, uh, non-believing clergy uh, write their resume and know how to present themselves, how to present their skills, to find uh, jobs outside um, the clergy. And uh, I don't actually, you know, I, I, I could have found out. I, I could know, but I don't know how many people have been helped. But I, I know that one of the people in the in our original pilot study who called himself Adam uh, finally got out of the clergy just about a year ago. He tried and tried and tried. And I interviewed him in 2009. 
and uh, he's got a job outside, and it's it's a good job, and it's near it's uh, in his same community, so he didn't have to move, which he didn't want to do. He's using all of his skills, well, not all of his skills, but most of them. That's really uh, amazing. Really I mean, happy. when you think about it, pastors. You know, even the most fundamentalist pastors, the skills that they have when it comes to public speaking, yeah. motivating and inspiring mm-hmm. people, counseling people, even if they don't necessarily have the Draw- degrees to back that up necessarily. Drawing up a new lecture mm-hmm. every week. Right. I mean, those are skills that could transfer to other places. But I would think finding a job would be the biggest obstacle for why they would remain in the pulpit even when they have these doubts. It's like, what am I going to do? I have a family to feed yeah. somehow. Right. Um, that's got to be the biggest obstacle for them to overcome. It kind of reminds me of uh, when when military members come back over here and they have all this real world experience, right. but not necessarily the degree to back it up. Right. And at least we have programs, right. in theory anyway, to help those military members. <laughs> really efficient programs. Yeah, to come back and use, mm-hmm, put their yeah. skills to use. But there isn't necessarily a formal one uh, until I heard about the clergy project program to help ex-pastors put their skills to use. And I actually, I do know one former pastor um, who is using those like public speaking skills uh, as he Mm -hmm. goes around the country to work, which is fantastic. Um, Do do these pastors who harbor doubts and yet are still at their churches, do they believe they are hypocrites or do they think they're just focusing? I'll focus on everyone should be good. I'll focus on being a humanitarian. And that doesn't, I'm still a Christian, but I'm not lying. Or do they call themselves hypocrites? Well, again, um, it varies among people, and, and you're, you're doing what uh, what people tend to do, and that is, what are they like? Yeah. And that, that's, the, you know, that's the hardest question to answer because they are not all the same. Right. They have a few uh, similar characteristics. A lot of them have musical talent. A lot of them are good public speakers. A lot of them are good people who want to do good and want to, want to have uh, a position of uh, respect and authority in the community. Mm-hmm. Um, but other than that, they're as different as you and me, and they're as different as, as anybody else who uh, changes their religious beliefs. Sure. And, and, and so to answer your question, do some of them feel like hypocrites? I would say yes, some of them do, and some of them go through a stage where they, you know, they, they feel terrible. Mm-hmm. They yeah. don't know what to do. Uh, and then they find a way of dealing with it. And, and in many ways, it's, you know, it's, it's positive. They, uh, and, and this is a, one of the things I think is, is really helping the humanistic cause, and is that is when they stand up to give a sermon in order not to be a hypocrite, they will read the Bible verse of the day. They're not saying, I believe this Bible verse, but they're saying, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, this the, is Bible the Bible says, <laughs> blah, blah, blah. Right. And then they um, bring it into everyday life. And there's a, there's a moral that you can find in, in any story. It doesn't have to be a Bible story. So mm-hmm. this is like the Joel Osteen approach. Like, look, there's a Bible verse. Let me talk about how to make your life better. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, but, but some of these things can be very good, not like Joel Osteen, not that I've listened to it any of his sermons. You're missing out. They're actually, uh, they're entertaining. (laughs) Really? Well, I'll have to listen sometime. (laughs) My mom watches uh, it every week. Don't worry. What? Uh, Really? Only because they're inspiring. She has no, she cares nothing at all about Christianity. (laughs) She's just like, oh, he's a handsome guy. He's talking about how to make your life better. I could watch this. And I'd come home and I'm like, it's between that and like the Indian channel. Classic mom. That's all that's, yeah, it's weird. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think, you know, that's what's going on in a lot of Christian churches, really. Um, that, uh, you know, they, they hear some good words uh, from, yeah. from somebody they respect. Yeah. Uh, and then if they go, if, let's say if it's an Episcopal church or another kind of church that has a liturgy, 
they just go into the, you know, the, the, the creed and all of the stuff you say during church, they can tell themselves and they can actually believe that this is all metaphorical and that it has value. Right. And that it brings people together. Um, so, no, they don't, you know, they, they will go through a stage of feeling like hypocrites. Mm-hmm. But the, the truth is, and I really believe this myself, is that they are, um, the, 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 what they're doing is not all bad. In fact, a lot of it is good. Yeah. And when you, when you think of the, um, the humanist uh, celebrants and the, uh, the uh, people like Jerry DeWitt and Mike Alf who now have um, humanistic, humanistic congregations, congregations yeah. 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 A lot of uh, Christian clergy are, are practically functioning in that way, from what I can see. It it seems unlikely, but have you gotten any kind of uh, negative feedback or backlash uh, from your research? Um, we did when the when the pilot study first came out, and that was in 2010, and uh, then it was really a, a kind of a revolutionary idea that there would be such a thing as non-believing clergy. Um, and what and, are these people uh, saying when they're yeah, you're saying you're they're reacting to the original pilot study? What are they upset about? They're saying things like, um, well, uh, we always knew that these bad people were there. Mm. You know, they, uh, Dennett and Lascola present them as if this is something new, but we knew they were there. We knew they were in hiding. And I'm thinking, well, if you knew something about it, why didn't you ever say anything? <laughs> or why didn't you try right. to get, get rid of them? Uh, and uh, one thing I found really fascinating was one uh, fundamentalist, uh, I can't remember his name right now, uh, well-known uh, uh, speaker and writer, said, um, oh, yes, there are many people like that. Or they said, they interviewed many people. And the truth is, at that point, we'd interviewed five people. Right. And I was, I was even embarrassed to, to uh, at first to present a study like that because, uh, you know, that's such a small sample size. You can't make any conclusions right. based on it. But it was, it was more uh, of, a, of an observation. And we, we were very careful to say that it was a small sample and it was a, just a pilot study and we were going to do a larger study. Right. But nonetheless, this guy said, uh, you know, he, he extrapolated saying it was many. So I'm thinking to myself, he knows that there are many people <laughs> out there. Um, but uh, there was uh, a lot of criticism about it at first. And then a funny thing happened. And I think you might notice this in other aspects of... Um, uh, of the atheist movement is that a lot of religious people, uh, religious leaders have gone quiet about atheists. Have you noticed that? They don't talk about us that much anymore. They just wish <laughs> we would go away. Because <laughs> we're pointing out the elephant in the room or? <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. Yes. You it's said like the atheists are talking about each other now. <laughs> but the religious yeah. people are not, you know, the religious leaders are not talking about us so much. Yeah, we, we're bad for their brand. <laughs> well, let me ask you, you said some of these pastors are coming from, usually it's the fundamentalists who have the hardest time kind of keeping them in. They're the ones who are going to topple those dominoes really quickly. Are right. churches doing anything to combat this? Because you have to think that some of these churches are like, well, if they're leaving because we are so stringent about these beliefs, there is no flexibility, yeah. um, but we're losing people. We're not just losing pastors, but we're losing members. Right. Mm-hmm. Are they doing anything to push back against that? Or are they just doubling down on their inerrancy? I, you know, I don't know the answer to that question because I don't know that much of what's going on inside yeah. churches. I mean, I know what's going on with uh, people who leave. 
but I, I, I think the answer to that is probably no. I, it seems like they have their head in the sand. And that sounds that about right. <laughs> yeah, churches are watching people leave, and they don't know how to bring them back. Um, it's always interesting uh, the, to hear. I've, I've read a lot of demographic studies. I've read a lot of Christian writing about why are young people leaving the church? Yeah. They may still believe mm-hmm. in God, but we've seen this rise of people who call themselves nuns or unaffiliated uh-huh. with religion. Right. And it's always interesting to hear Christians act like, why is this happening? We don't, <laughs> we don't know what we're doing wrong. It's like, I could rattle off a dozen reasons people are leaving your church. And you have. And I have. Mm-hmm. But the people who are like, in in religious leadership positions, the reasons they offer are just the most ridiculous things. It's like, no, look, you're anti-gay, you're anti-science. We don't hate gay people enough. Yeah. That's the problem. Like, yeah, it's it's not a problem with uh, something else, whatever you think it is. They don't they don't get why people are leaving yeah. their church. No, they don't, and they they don't they don't know what to do about it. Uh, and yeah. uh, a lot of the the pastors, let's say the kinds of people that are the people actually that I uh, interviewed who eventually left, and uh, 13 of them left, 13 who were in the study uh, have since left uh, wow. the clergy. Uh-huh. Uh, they, don't say why they're, they don't say why they're leaving. They don't say, I don't believe this stuff anymore. And they, they don't know. say that to they, their congregation, you mean? No. Interesting. No, they leave, they leave quietly. Huh. Of course, that makes they, sense. They don't want... Yeah, it's like a politician <laughs> saying, I have to spend more time with my family. Like, I, I you're not I've giving us the real reason. I think I've always had in my head that, like, when people always want to, like, quit a job and they, like, go to their <laughs> boss's office and flip their desk. Like, of course they don't do that. Why would I think they would do that? <laughs> hey, yeah. congregation, everything I've ever said to you is a lie. <laughs> Goodbye. Like, flipping the bird and, yeah, like, run yeah. out the door. <laughs> They're not doing that. <laughs> yeah, Why would I even the... think that? <laughs> What's wrong with me? <laughs> <laughs> you know, there, there's a couple of exceptions to that, and we know who they are. Yeah, because they've there's said it publicly. Like, yeah, yeah, they said it publicly, and they lost their jobs, and they lost all their money. I mean, Gary Gary DeWitt did that. Now, right. Mike Al- also did it. He was in a, a better situation. Right. Teresa McBain, I think, was another one who right. made an announcement at an atheist conference yeah. that she was an atheist. Um, right. That will usually they do become, the trick. They become infamous. <laughs> yeah. And their and their whole life changes, and if, if that's what you want then you'll, you'll make that kind of a move. But it's people like uh, Gary and Teresa who are saying, don't do it the way I did it. <laughs> <laughs> well, if, yeah, if you want to have a job within, and, you know, it's it's hard when you've come out publicly and you're known for that. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And, yeah, that, that isn't easy. Do you think pastors are now finding it easier because some people have done it so publicly and because people are aware of the clergy project and your research? Do you think it's easier for pastors now to say, well, I don't believe this, maybe I should find a different line of work? Um, I, I think so, yes. Again, I don't know. Um, but yeah, it's hard I, to quantify I, I this thing. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, but I mean, I really, I really don't know. I mean, I, um, because I haven't done that study, and that study would be so hard to do because right. you have to find the people who'd be willing to talk to you. I mean, right. it'd be harder to, to do that study than the one we did. I mean, I would love to do a study with believing clergy. But at this point, I don't think they're going to want to talk to me very much. <laughs> You've burned a lot of bridges in that community. <laughs> so you said this 2010 study, which we'll post on our website when this goes up, that was the pilot study with just a handful of uh, former pastors or, mm-hmm. or silently doubting pastors, rather. Where You said you're now doing a bigger study. Is that still in the works? Oh, we did the bigger study. Uh, when, and that came out it. when? Well, that came out in, in the book, um, Caught in the Pulpit, 
Ah, that okay. That was the result of the bigger study. But what we're doing now is uh, there's a, an expanded edition of Cotton School that's coming out in, in the spring, probably in April. And it's going to include more stories uh, of people that uh, participate in the study, but we didn't write sketches of them. Um, because one of the, some of the feedback we got was, boy, we really love the stories you told. And we'd like to hear more of those. So we're telling more stories. And we're giving an update on the things that have happened, the changes in the lives of the people since the study started in 2007. Right. And, uh, and it's really kind of amazing, uh, the things that have changed. I mean, it's shown so many of them have left. And, you know, you, you know what's happened in the past seven years in terms of the atheist movement and more people leaving churches and uh, the whole humanist movement changing things. So right. And the rise leave. of these humanistic congregations, which has been a big thing yes. in the past year. Yeah. And so, so people uh, whose beliefs change now have more options, and uh, and they're using them, and it's really a it's a joy to see. Absolutely. How how did you uh, get in touch with Daniel Dennett when you were doing this study? I'm very curious about that. Mm-hmm. Did he come to yeah. you? Did you go to him? No, I went to him, and it was the first time that I'd ever gone to anybody to ask them to do a study. I'd been a qualitative researcher for about 25 years, and. The way it always worked is that people came to me to do the study. I might go to them and say, hey, I'm a qualitative researcher with this set of skills, and the next time you have a study to do, wouldn't you like to have me do it? Yeah. But uh, I never went to them with a research idea. Uh, but I wanted to do this so much that um, I uh, was do- actually doing research on my own. I just sort of talking to people when I had the chance, talking to people who dropped out of seminary, or I met a guy at a dinner party who had been a priest for a couple of years, and I talked to him. And, um, and then Dan Dennett wrote an essay at, uh, called, uh, about, it was about Mother Teresa and her dark night of the soul when it came out, but she hadn't been a believer for many years. Do you right. remember that? That was a few years ago, right. Yes. And he wrote that, and he said in that essay, I think there are many people like Mother Teresa, many clergy who don't believe, and are just sort of stuck in the pulpit and leave quietly, or just, you just sort of hang on. Mm-hmm. And so I wrote to him. I found his, you know, address, his email address. And I said, I think there are a lot of people like that, too. And I'm a qualitative researcher. And I think you ought to do a study on it. We actually, so that's kind of a... Yeah. We actually had him as a guest on the show when I was at uh, TAM this past year. So there was an episode of this podcast where yeah. I interview him very nervously. And <laughs> all that stuff. <laughs> And this does seem, he's a great guy. Couldn't be nicer. Yeah. And in this sort of thing, I would imagine, yeah, you said you wrote about it, but this is right up his alley. It's talking about what's going on in people's minds. Yeah. You know, how are they thinking about this issue? Right. Where, where does he, yeah, go ahead. No, I was just going to say one thing led to another. And, uh, you know, I I made a point of meeting him when he came to the uh, conference in Washington, D.C., where all four horsemen were present in yeah. 2007, I guess it was. Oh, yeah. yeah. So I met him there and talked about the idea with him, and he was wary about it because I was an unknown quantity. And I said, <laughs> well, you know, if you don't know who I am, find out who I am. Right. And let's do the study. And he became, he became very interested after the conference. He started, I think he talked to some other people there, and started, um, and he talked to Dan Barker, and Dan Barker thought he had uh, some... Uh, people that he could uh, that we, that could be interviewed in the study, 
And it really mushroomed from there. Yeah. And Dan Barker has even said, I, I don't know if he where he said this, but I know I've heard the story, where his book is all about how he left fundamentalist Christianity to become mm-hmm. and became an atheist. But he said after he published that book a long time ago, when it got re-released a couple of years ago, he had several people who were clergy call him up and say, like, I'm yes. in the same position you were in where I'm having these doubts and I don't know what to do. And I'm sure, like, I'm sure Dan Barker has, like, a Rolodex of sorts of all of these people who are in that same position. And until now, until, like, Clergy Project, until Mm. this research came Mm. out, they had no idea how to meet each other. And, like, Dan wasn't about to set up a meeting just for them. That's a little awkward. Is it tricky to, like, get something like this started? Like, where do you even begin like what's the first step you're like okay i need to find non-believers like what's your first step <laughs> let me walk into a nearby church hey does anyone not believe just come with me and <laughs> it's fine we'll check. it's cool yeah, and, buddy and those guys had to have a lot of guts to call dan barker yeah. right uh and jerry dewitt was one of them he just he's described it many times uh, how he you know lost himself in the bathroom and <laughs> yeah you know uh, made a call to dan barker but three of the people uh, in fact, actually more than that, kind of Jerry Dewitt, but three of the people in the pilot study, which Jerry did not participate in, um, came from people who called Dan Barker, and they they just as you described, and he said, well, you know, I'll be happy to talk with you, and but I can also tell you about this study that Dan Dennett's conducted, and maybe you'd like to talk with this lady, you know, going around interviewing people, and that's why I got three of the participants in the first study, and they were they were eager and delighted to talk to me, but they were also scared stiff because they had to tell me who they were. Right. Uh, I wasn't going to interview. I wasn't going to, you know, go down to some southern town and... Um, without without knowing, knowing who they were and yeah. where they were. Yeah, where yeah. they preached. Um, do you have any advice for pastors who may be in that situation right now uh, who harbor these doubts? What would you say to them if if someone said, I'm having these doubts, but I'm still preaching every Sunday? What do I do? Well, I would tell them, if they're having doubts, um, people having doubts are not qualified uh, for the clergy project. To be in the clergy project, you have to have gone through that phase. The clergy project is for people who no longer believe. Yeah. Uh, You know, it's focused again. But if you're having doubts, I would, I, being Linda LaFole, would say, come visit the Rational Doubt blog. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) On Tassios. Because that is really set up for people who are having, anybody's having doubts, but specifically clergy, a lot of the blogs there, a lot of the blog posts are written by members of the clergy project. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And uh, they describe what they've been through, and they talk about various issues that they de- deal with in their lives, and they describe uh, some of the, um, the the transitions they went through. And also, some of the, some of the people who post on the blog are clergy who are still in the clergy. They're still preaching. They post anonymously. And Oh, yes, they, those, they post anonymously. I know who they are. Yeah. But uh, they post anonymously, and so they, they tell their experience. And uh, if I were a doubting clergy, I would just be eating that stuff up. Right. It's, it's, it's exactly the kind of thing that you, that you can't talk about with anybody, but now you can go to the Internet and find it. Right. I mean, I remember when I started having doubts about my faith, I was, like, early in high school, but it was, I mean, I went online, yeah. and I found, like, I tried to figure out... Is there anyone talking? What happens if you don't believe in God? And I found like a couple (laughs) websites. There really weren't that many at the time, but a couple websites where some people were saying, you know, this doesn't make any sense in religion. This doesn't either. I have no idea who they were, but I'm just like, oh, my God, that is what I'm thinking right now. Like, it really doesn't make any sense. And it was 
it blew my mind that I'm just like, that's what I've been trying to look for. And I'm not the only one. And I have to imagine, yeah, Mm -hmm. if I'm a pastor who has these doubts, Mm -hmm. yeah, going to uh, the Rational Doubt blog or seeing these stories of pastors who left, that has to be inspiring. Or at least, you know, you're not alone. Exactly. Okay, also I have another really uh, uh, good uh, piece of uh, good news for doubting pastors. Uh, and I'm, I'm thinking of people who, uh, like the people in the study, who would go so far and then they just put it, uh, put it in a box for a while, maybe, you know, maybe a few months, maybe a few years, and then bring it out again and be scared by it and get, learn some more in, information, think about it uh, further, read another book. Um, and uh, eventually, at some point, and it took a long time, really, uh, you know, it wasn't an overnight revelation, the way religion sometimes comes to people. Um, when, when, they, when they finally accepted that they no longer believed, they were extremely relieved, extremely relieved, even though it may, might make their life very difficult. And at the end of uh, the interviews, um, I, I did something that I thought was a smart thing to do at the end because it would give people a chance to reflect on everything they'd said over a period of two or three interviews. And um, I asked them what they felt they had gained and what they thought they had lost as a result of uh, their beliefs changing. And uh, this is one area in which they were all the same, one of the few areas in which wow. they were the same. And that was they all felt that they had gained much more than they had lost. Wow. That's great. That is good news. And Yeah, and their eyes lit up when they talked about what they had gained. Mm. Um, and what they gained was, uh, I did just put it briefly, was like intellectual freedom. And and uh, and being at one with themselves, mm-hmm. and you can't you know ask for much more than that in life. Yeah. Um, so if 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 people if uh, clergy and anyone else is having religious doubt, um, if they let themselves go, if they don't keep coming back and saying no 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 I can't doubt, and let themselves go to whatever is the natural ending for them, if that natural uh, conclusion is not believing. Uh, take it from me, you're going to feel better. That's fantastic. That's awesome. Well, that's, that's a good note to end on. <laughs> so thank you, Linda, for joining us. And we'll, we'll make sure everyone has the links to uh, the pilot study from uh-huh. 2010, the Rational Doubt blog, and the book, book. Caught in the Pulpit, which will be re-released with uh, an expanded edition this spring. Thank you so much for being with us. Thank you very much. Thanks for listening to the podcast for FriendlyAtheist.com. This episode was taped at Cinnamon Sound Studios in Aurora, Illinois. The music was composed by Brad Chagdis. If you like what you're hearing, please consider making a contribution at Patreon.com slash Hemant. That's He-Man T. We appreciate your support. And if you have any questions, feel free to email us at FriendlyAtheistPodcast at gmail.com. I'm Hemant Mehta. And I'm Jessica Blumke. We hope you'll join us next time. Thank you.